We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. The Secretary of State meets with President Xi and immediately states the U.S. does not support Taiwan independence. War with China is probable. Um, And I think that President Biden's efforts to try to prevent it are actually accelerating it. Congressman Jim Jordan wants the IRS to explain reports of an agent using a false name to intimidate an Ohio taxpayer. You can't just walk into people's homes like that. So it it was, I think, just, just again, frightening it. Anheuser-Busch executives admit they need to understand their customers better. It's permanent damage to this brand because it's becoming an iconic story. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast. Your first look at today's top stories for Tuesday, June 20th. I'm Mike Scott. In an historic meeting, China's President Xi Jinping and U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken met on Monday and agreed on stabilizing their relationship so it doesn't veer into conflict. The Chinese president welcomed progress after shaking hands with Blinken at the Great Hall of the People, a grand venue usually reserved only for greeting heads of state. Secretary of State Blinken says the U.S. does not support an independent Taiwan. On Taiwan, I reiterated the longstanding U.S. one-China policy. Uh, That policy has not changed. It's guided by the Taiwan Relations Act, the three joint communiques, the six assurances. We do not support Taiwan independence. We remain opposed to any unilateral changes to the status quo by either side. Blinken did acknowledge the U.S.-China relationship is in a rocky stage. We have no illusions about the challenges of managing this relationship. There are many issues on which we profoundly, even vehemently, disagree. Blinken also said the administration will always take the best course of action to advance the interest of the American people. The United States has a long history of successfully managing complicated, consequential relationships through diplomacy. It's the responsibility of both countries to find a path forward, and it's in both our interests and the interests of the world that we do so. Blinken also says a key issue raised with the Chinese team was help in dealing with the narcotic fentanyl. I raised as a priority the issue of synthetic opioids and fentanyl, a crisis in the United States. Fentanyl is the number one killer of Americans aged 18 to 49. I made clear that we need much greater cooperation to address this critical issue. We agreed to explore setting up a working group or joint effort so that we can shut off the flow of precursor chemicals, which help fuel this crisis and a growing number of deaths. Meantime, Beijing's tone on Taiwan was particularly pointed throughout Blinken's visit. Gordon Chang, the author of The Coming Collapse of China and a senior fellow at the Gatestone Institute, says that his problem with the meeting 
is that the U.S. did not hold China to account for its growing aggressiveness. Well, it means that the Chinese don't want to um, especially humiliate the United States. So they did grant the meeting with Xi Jinping. But we did receive a number of slights from the Chinese and we did not acknowledge them. And, you know, Henry Kissinger just a a few hours ago once again said that war with China is probable. Um, And I think that President Biden's efforts to try to prevent it are actually accelerating it because we are not telling the Chinese in public what they need to hear and what the world needs to hear. And that is that the United States will defend itself, its friends and allies. Instead, we talk about the need to maintain communication when the Chinese are talking about war. We have Communist Party figures inside of China talking about war and how the deaths of hundreds of millions of people is acceptable. Well, conversation like that is unacceptable. Chang also says that the U.S. needs to counter China's anti-American propaganda. You know, we see this around the world because Chinese propaganda is basically saying the United States is no longer a global force. And really, the attempt to make the United States look small in Beijing is a part of that. We're going to hear much more of that propaganda line in the months ahead. The United States needs to counter that because that propaganda line is actually effective in large parts of the world, like the Middle East and Africa, which are where we see the main points of contention outside of Ukraine. And so the United States needs to take a very different approach. And if we don't, um, the Chinese will get even more arrogant. We've been inflating their already big sense of self-importance, and that's not a good thing. Military affairs analyst, retired Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis, tells the Salem Radio Network that because of the Taiwan controversy, China is not ready to resume military-to-military contacts. Given that the tensions are very high around Taiwan and the South China Sea, uh, which is, of course, uh, claimed by the communist Chinese. Uh, That remains a very sticky issue. McGinnis tells us that despite the meeting, tensions remain high between the U.S. and China. Something that I would argue it's the highest it's ever been since the 1972 visit by President Nixon to that country. So there's a lot that has to be resolved. I'm not sure that you know, much was resolved other than we are talking, and that's a good, good start. U.S. President Joe Biden believes relations between the two countries are on the right path, and he indicated that progress was made during the Blinken trip. Imprisoned Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny has gone on trial on new charges of extremism that could keep him behind bars for decades longer. We get more on this story from our Daybreak insider, Charles de la Desma. The session took place at a maximum security penal colony in Melikhovo, east of Moscow, where Navalny's serving a nine-year sentence for fraud and contempt of court charges he says are politically motivated. Navalny, who exposed official corruption and organised major anti-Kremlin protests, was arrested in January 2021 upon returning to Moscow after recuperating in Germany from nerve agent poisoning that he blamed on the Kremlin. Navalny, wearing his prison garb, looked gaunt at the session, but spoke emphatically about the weakness of the state's case and gestured energetically. I'm Charles Dilladesma. 
Ohio taxpayer has filed a police report saying that an IRS agent used a fake name and deceptive actions to gain entry into her home. And House Republicans are demanding an explanation from the IRS. He now has really serious concerns about alleged abuses that are infringing upon Americans' fundamental civil, civil liberties. In a new letter, Jordan writes that on April 25th, an IRS criminal division agent provided a false name to an Ohio taxpayer as part of a deception to gain entry into the taxpayer's home to confront her about delinquent tax filings. The IRS, IRS agent himself identified himself as Bill House, H-A-U-S, an alias when he arrived at the Marion, Ohio home of a taxpayer whose identity Jim Jordan is now protecting. Take a look at this from the letter. When the taxpayer rightfully objected to the agent's tactics, the IRS agent insisted that he, quote, can go into anyone's house at any time. Now, following this visit, the taxpayer alerted Marion PD, believing the visit had been a scam. A police officer then contacted Agent House, verified he is actually an IRS agent. Agent House then filed a complaint against that officer with the Treasury Department Inspector General. Jordan says this is a clear case of IRS overreach. According to reports, the taxpayer spoke with the agent's supervisor after the incident and was told that she didn't owe the IRS anything and admitted that things should never have gotten that far with the visit. Republican Congressman Jim Jordan of Ohio joined the Salem Radio Network and says that when he learned of the situation, it actually left him shaken. The IRS agent came in and said, you got to let me in. He used an alien. He didn't even give her a real name. Uh, it turned out that she didn't do anything wrong, but, but this, I, I think... The real takeaway for me is it just it just shows the arrogance that these bureaucrats have, and the idea that that he would say you've got to let me in, I'm from the IRS, I can I can do this. Um, I mean, someone <laughs> did he not read history? Did he not read what took place here in, in America in the 1770s and what fired up America? I mean, like you can't just walk into people's homes like that. Um, and and uh, so it, it was, I think, just just again frightening it. The Ohio Republican points out that this isn't the first time that the IRS has targeted innocent Americans. It comes on the heels of what they did to Matt Taibbi. He knocked on his door while he was testifying in front of the Select Committee on the Weaponization of Government. Um, so uh, this is just a pattern. And, of course, it was just a little over a decade ago when the IRS was targeting conservatives, people in the Tea Party movement um, uh, as well. So. This is disturbing, and, and the idea that they're getting a bunch more money for a bunch more agents is, uh, is, is really uh, kind of scary when you stop and think about what they've been up to. According to new polling, the majority of Americans feel that many bureaucratic agencies in the government have a double standard, and Jordan thinks he knows why. It's scary, and it's why the work we're doing in Congress, I think, is so important on a number of committees. But but certainly our committee, where you see what first it's the FBI, it's the Justice Department, it's the IRS, it's the Department of Homeland Security setting up, attempting to set up the disinformation governance board as if as if they could tell you what you're allowed to say, what you're not allowed to say. I mean, all of this together is is what's scary. And it's and it's frankly why I think when you when you step back and look at the the weaponization of these agencies, turning of these agencies on the American people, the people they're supposed to serve and the double standard that certainly seems to exist at the at the Justice Department. It's why in a survey, I think a few weeks ago, it showed that 60 percent of Americans don't 
don't really trust the FBI and think that it now has a double standard. And the reason they think there's a double standard at the FBI is because there is and because these agencies have become aggressive against the people they're supposed to serve. Jordan has a few ideas of his own on how to combat the growing aggressiveness of federal government bureaucracies. Even folks at the Department of Education, they have some people who are armed. They're like, what? They should be armed, as, as one of my colleagues said, they should be armed with a pencil and a calculator maybe, but not, not, not firearms for goodness sake. Um, again, uh, I, I, I think just one of the many examples that, that I, I think are real concern to the American people and it's why when we get to the appropriations process, uh, we're going to have to say we're going to have to put limitations on how taxpayer money can be spent. We may, I think we're in, in some ways we're going to have to uh, limit the amount of money going to some of these agencies. Um, I just I just feel like that's that's the primary responsibility we have and the primary way we have to deal with aggressive agencies who are who I said who are targeting the American people. In the recent debt ceiling deal that passed the House and the Senate. Congress voted to claw back funding for the IRS. Negotiators agreed to two annual cuts of $10 billion in IRS funding, including an immediate rescission of a $1.4 billion cut from unobligated balances. But some Republicans say it didn't go far enough to make a dent in the $60 billion of funds on the table set to hire thousands of new agents, and beef up IRS enforcement. Authorities have apparently scored a big win against the cartels. We get more on this from our Daybreak insider, John Scott. Government officials in northern Mexico say they've destroyed 14 homemade armored cars of the kind used by drug cartels to fight land battles. The vehicles are usually adapted from commercial trucks with steel plate armor welded on. Many had thick steel ramming prows welded to the front. Others had firing ports and gun turrets. At least one was painted in green camouflage to resemble a Mexican army vehicle. Video distributed by the Federal Attorney General's Office Sunday shows a crane with a claw ripping the vehicles apart. John Scott reporting. According to Anheuser-Busch's chief marketing officer, Marcel Marcondes, Bud Light's partnership with Dylan Mulvaney was a humbling reminder. It needs to understand its customers better and promises that Bud Light will be back, saying, quote, as we move forward, we will focus on what we do best, brewing great beer and earning our place in moments that matter to you. Here's to a future with more cheers, end quote. This comes as businessman Mark Cuban was quoted as saying that companies going woke is simply good business. However, Bud Light's experience doesn't bear that out. Anheuser-Busch has lost $27 billion in value due to a campaign in which it partnered with a transgender influencer, Dylan Mulvaney. That upset conservatives and beer drinkers, and then, after it failed to back Mulvaney, drew a backlash from liberals and the gay community. Kevin O'Leary of Shark Tank disagrees sharply with Mark Cuban. It's unprecedented in American history, in the beer industry. Remember, beer is a commodity. It's what it is. It's measured by market share. In the history of beer in America, 
No brand has ever lost 25% market share in 36 hours. No one's ever done that. It would be almost impossible to do that. No one could even conceive how to do that, even if you wanted to do that. Yet somehow Bud Light figured it out and they decimated their brand. So why that would be good for business is beyond me. Losing market share in the beer business, which is measured by half a percent to 1% a year, that's after you spend 100, 200, 300 million dollars advertising your brand, because it's a commodity. The only thing that matters is brand and people's loyalty to it. So why losing 25% share is a good idea? They don't teach that one in business school, I'll tell you that. O'Leary believes that the damage done to the Bud Light brand will not be easy to brush off. It's permanent damage to this brand because it's becoming an iconic story. It's a late night joke on television. It's being used by presidential candidates every day. Uh, people point at it. The CEO has decided to go on a tour to talk about the brand. That's an incredibly bad idea. It'll just keep it in the headlines. There's all kinds of risk management firms and crisis management PR firms that have been brought to the table. The trouble is this is unchartered. It's, it's never happened before. There is no playbook on what to do next. The best thing that could happen to Bud Light would we'd stop talking about it, which we don't. I'm constantly being asked about this brand. And of course, this fall, it's become such an incredible story in terms of consumer goods and services that I'll be teaching it in many colleges across America. We have never ever, ever seen this before. And this proves a much bigger issue to boardrooms and all the S&P 500 companies. Social media is uncontrollable and incredibly powerful. And how you manage it is going to become a new issue for all public companies. Yeah. Bud Light's advertisement campaign begins next week, portraying Bud Light as easy to drink and easy to enjoy. The United Nations Secretary General is pressing for major changes in the IMF and World Bank. We get more on this from our Daybreak Insider, Jeremy House. Antonio Guterres says the International Monetary Fund has benefited rich countries instead of poor ones. And he describes the IMF and World Bank's response to the COVID-19 pandemic as a, quote, glaring failure that left dozens of countries deeply indebted. Guterres' criticisms were issued ahead of meetings called by French President Emmanuel Macron in Paris next week to address reforms of the multilateral development banks and other issues. And finally, the search continues for a submarine that went missing in the North Atlantic on an underwater trip to explore wreckage of the Titanic. The rush is on to find five people, including three very rich tourists trapped in a tiny submarine somewhere in or tragically perhaps at the bottom of the North Atlantic. They could only have hours to live as the submarine was only required to carry four days worth of life support. And the Coast Guard believes they are close to running out. Rear Admiral John Mauger confirmed that five were on board the submersible. A Coast Guard official identified them as an operator and four mission specialists. We want to make sure that we have done absolutely everything that we can do to uh, locate uh, their family members and bring them home safe. And so they're first and foremost in our thoughts uh, every moment of uh, this uh, search operation. According to reports from the scene, the vessel submerged on a dive Sunday morning. 
and the crew lost contact with them approximately one hour, 45 minutes into the vessel's dive. Former Navy submarine Captain David Marquette isn't very hopeful for a happy ending. If they're on the bottom, it's tough. The family should prepare themselves for bad news. You got to find the ship and then you got to get back, get it back up to the surface. Two very difficult problems. Marquette states that even though he spent his career as a submarine captain, underwater trips to see the Titanic is something that he would never do. Not in my mind. I'm not doing that. Uh, look, yeah. there's, there's hundreds of submarines out there, many, many military submarines. A U.S. nuclear submarine costs about $2 billion, and there's a good reason. If we need one pump, we put on two. If we need two pumps, we put on three. There are multiple redundancies. It's designed to the nth standard, and when things break, we have the crew to fix them. And we stay much shallower than, than this submarine. It's only a very tiny fraction of submarines are designed to go that deep, and you're building them with a commercial company. I read that they use a, like a video game controller to, to drive the submarine. Yeah, it was pretty wild. That's great, but I hope you have like 10 of those in a box standing by in case that one uh, craps out on you. And so I'm, I'm not sure this early in this new exploration process that people understand how unforgiving nature, the laws of nature are. And nature doesn't care. We would say nature doesn't care if you went to church today. OceanGate Expeditions, a company that deploys manned submersibles for deep-sea expeditions, confirmed in a statement that its sub was the subject of the rescue operation, adding that it was exploring and mobilizing all options to try and bring the crew back safely. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider Podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at SRNNews.com and TownHall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Mike Scott. 